to the Morse Code Podcast, where we have conversations with entrepreneurially-minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name is Corby, and I'm hoping these little talks inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just curious about what it's actually like to live as an indie creative. Before we get into our first guest ever, I've got to let you know that we just finished a Kickstarter campaign and were able to raise almost $20,000 toward bringing you this first season. Huge thanks to everyone who believed in us, especially Heather Schroeder, Catherine Hinson, and Dino and Leslie Joby. This episode of the Morse Code Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Ranch Vovo, a film production house located in Nashville, Tennessee, and devoted to bringing quirky, compelling narrative stories to life. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with artist, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Joe Pasapia. Joe has one of the longest lists of creative collaborations in Nashville. He was a longtime member of the band Guster. He wrote and produced Katie Lang's acclaimed album, Sing It Loud. And he just produced the latest Ben Folds album, What Matters Most, which came out this spring. In this wide-ranging conversation, we talk about how he accidentally came to found the pop and indie rock renaissance in Nashville in the early 2000s and how he got involved with Custer. We also talk about now or never moments, the idea of meaning for artists in the age of AI, taking creative leaps into the unknown and learning by doing. I learned a lot from this talented, nurturing musician and even got to join him on a few songs. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please like and subscribe. New episodes come out every Thursday. And now, here's my conversation with Joe Pasapia. <laughs> Joe Pasapia, how's it going? Pretty well. How about you? It's going. It's going good, man. We got the uh, all the apparatuses going the same direction. I think apparati. And uh, I'm just grateful in advance for, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. It could end in flames. We're hoping for just, the best. Yeah, we're hoping for the best and, you know, that you took a chance is uh, everything to me. Um, let's, uh, I, I kind of want to get into, a, you know, past, present, future if you wanted to. And I'll open with a little anecdote, which is that my first knowledge of you was in the, through your band Guster. And, gotcha. um this That's my band, by the way. Your, your band. My personal your band. band. <laughs> <laughs> they would love that. <laughs> I bet they would. <laughs> I started it. It's I yours. finished it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Bookended all the way through. But uh, yeah, I was dating a gal who thought I was all right, but I was no Guster. <laughs> tell you what, that was the band. And so I was like, <laughs> so uh, this is my turn to, uh, uh, to take my revenge on me. Um, but uh, we're, you're from, up northeast is what I want to that's right. say, and that's where your band started. Yes, uh, that wasn't your band, or well, yeah. Where did where does Guster where's Guster from? Well, Guster, I did, I met those guys after I moved to Nashville. Okay. I was already in Nashville, and but I grew up in New Jersey, and one of the guys in Guster also grew up in New Jersey. His name is Adam Gardner. Mm -hmm. He grew up not too far from where I grew up. Yeah. I know his his name. Yeah. Okay, so you weren't like a are you you weren't an original band member of Guster? This will put it in perspective. Let's. The band had been a band for eleven years before I joined. <laughs> okay, but and then it went. Oh, uh, baby! Just, yeah, it just totally. was like you know two point <laughs> I don't know. Let's put some marketing terms. No, but it, and and I had met them. They, the, so my brother and I had a band called Joe Mark's Brother. Yes, and. Two people take credit for introducing Joe Mark's brother to Guster, and we never know who's telling the truth. Josh Rouse said he introduced him, 
And Josh Rouse's drummer, David Gerke, said he introduced us to the Gusters. So mm. we never know who was telling the truth, still to this day. But we'll just give them both equal credit. For now. And so they were, because they were opening for Guster, Josh Rouse. Mm. And um, then they gave our CD to Guster. And then they were like, you guys should open for us. And we're like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Because you know how it is to get a good opening gig. And we did it. And we, and we all became friends. And then we just stayed in touch. And, you know, one thing led to another, you know. They needed a new dude. You know what it was? They were like, so we were, um, they were recording in Nashville, a record called Keep It Together. And they were working with a friend named Roger Mutino, who's a producer in town, one of my mentors. And so they're working at Sound Emporium on Belmont. I'm living yeah. on Belmont at the time. I had my little apartment studio. And Ryan would ride his bike down to see me. We'd have coffee, this and that. And one day he just stopped by and I was, I was writing a record of mine called Daydreams. It was like, I wanted to play folky instruments like banjos and, you know, this and that. So I'm like, let's do a thing where, where the bass is organ pedals and the main rhythm is banjo. And we were just fooling around and we did a demo of this song called Jesus on the radio. And that, and then that they wanted to cut that for their record. And that's, yeah. and then, <clears throat> so I went up, you know, to record with them. They were. <clears throat> They were at, they had been recording in Nashville. So they, they, they wanted to track one of your songs and then as maybe a bonus or whatever, it's like, Hey, come and swing by. Maybe you sang a harmony on the song that you said that you, cause you said you swung by a sound emporium while they were tracking that record. Well, no, he came by my place. Okay. And, and so we, and which was down the street, yes. it was probably like they were doing other parts of the recording that he didn't need to be there for you know, watch the paint dry as we all do in the studio. Sure. So he came down, we wrote that song together. Okay. Oh, then, yeah. You so, wrote it, you cut it. You, okay. Yeah, you wrote we wrote it, it. And then we did a demo at my place because I had my first, you know, uh, first computer with digital audio in it. How do I work this thing? Yeah. 400 megahertz mm. G4. That's a lot of power, screaming. man. It's a lot of horses under the hood. Woo! A 40 gig <laughs> hard drive for $400. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we wrote that song and then, and then we recut it. And I was so excited to go to the studio because I had my home studio and <clears throat> I was so excited to go where they were recording in Bearsville because they had done different phases of the record. And so I went up to Bearsville in Woodstock, New York to record with them. And I was like, oh, we're going to go in a professional studio. Mm. We're going to track this song. And Roger Mutino was like, you know, this song sounds so like around the campfire. Let's actually do a camp. Let's do a fire in the, the house where everybody's staying. Mm bring over a little portable Pro Tools rig and tape mm. you guys recording, like sitting on the chairs by the fire. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah, you that's how we did it. Experience. I wanted a like, studio, <laughs> yeah. like proper mics and yeah. the audio lab. Yeah, the audio yeah. lab. And so we did, we, so we were, we did it super natural like that. And that yeah. was, and Brian, I think the drummer was playing like a, a cardboard box or something, whatever was like nearby yeah. or a suitcase or something. And yeah, folky. Yeah. Total fo super folk. That's great, man. Emmett um, Otter's jug band Christmas style. Sure. <clears throat> and that was your uh, first experience recording with Guster. And that then, was, yeah. And it was positive experience in spite of not being, you know, state of the art environs. as Exactly. You um, but one thing led to another. And this is how many years later were you kind of in the band or invited? Well. Shortly thereafter? That record. Okay. It was shortly thereafter yeah. because so that record uh what what that record was for them was an exploration <clears throat> they were like let's do a record with no without the rules of our band as we know it they were mm. a three-piece band and they kept the production really sparse mm. this one they were like we want to do weird guitars and keyboards and just do a fully produced record and so they were they were trying their hand at that and then 
because they had tried so many hands in on the things, they needed an extra set of hands to do the work. And I, they said, hey, Joe, would you consider coming out with us to do the promo tour of this record? It'll only be for like three months while we release the record. And, um, and I was like, sure, that sounds like vacation. I don't have to lift, carry gear even. And like, you're going to be on a tour bus. Great. Yeah. And I also knew, because my brother and I had three-piece band. I'm like, sometimes we wished we could have like a sort of a guy or a gal that would be a multi-instrumentalist, like the Peter Holsapp of the R.E.M. Sure. And, <clears throat> and I was like, sure, I know exactly what role to play. I'll just do whatever you need done, little bits here and there. Mm-hmm. I'll be like the seasonings. You know, just the extra, I'll be like the seasonings that you are in the back of the cabinet. You guys are in the front of the cabinet front. You're the salt and pepper. I'm like the cumin and the, you know, herbs de Provence or whatever. Those subtle flavors. (laughs) Yeah. Subtle flavors. Yeah, man. That's you. Yeah. Subtle flavors. (laughs) Uh, That's, um, that's really interesting. And, you know, it speaks to the, you're having a long life in music. Um, And anybody who has a long life in music it has chapters and unforeseen mm. twists and turns. And that's not everybody. That's kind of, you know, I've gotten my version of this racket for, uh, you know, three decades now. And I'm really interested in the people that, you know, they turned 30 or 35 and they're like, you know what? I don't want to do the backup plan. I'm going to still, I have to do this and I'm going to figure out how to. And you're to me, like I've watched you from afar, like we've never really talked before, but just know <laughs> that, uh, I've seen, you know, your version of doing that and been inspired by it. So, um, thank you for leading by example. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it, it continues or whatever, however it works out. You yeah. Know, Cause it's funny when you said mid thirties and I was thinking that's significant for me because I was probably 36 when I joined Guster. Mm-hmm. I think it was around that age. And it was also around the first time where I had more money than I needed to in the bank, like buy X amount of dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where it wasn't like, it wasn't just like, whew, I pulled it off again this yeah. month. I oh, did yeah. it somehow. Yeah. Maybe that was like around the same time where, um, oh, I'm actually making a living doing music that is like, not, not what our peers would have done that went, that took straight jobs. Nowhere yes. near that. Yeah. But at least where it's like, well, I have like enough money to get sushi twice this month. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, living large. Yeah. Living large. Yeah. And I mean, if that was probably really affirming mm. it, you know, I don't know if you, let me ask, let me put it as a question. Was there a moment where you, I mean, we've all had moments where we're like, oh shit, this is yeah. not going to work out and I've got to consider other things. But um, usually those moments become more dire or, you know, more concentrated as one gets older. And so were, were you ever in a situation where you were like, I, something's got to give, like, I can't do this forever. Or did it feel like an hour never thing ever with you? Or oh, yeah. you just going to always do it? I had an hour never moment before, before all this. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was what it might've been the impetus for me to write my first solo record, which was. Cause I was always more of a, a head in the clouds kind of whatever, you know, Yeah. this is a beautiful experience of life and everything just magically works out until it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, holy shit, yeah. I'm 33 years old. I got 50 bucks in the bank mm-hmm. and I'm up here in the mountains with my van <clears throat> and my van is broken down 
coming back from Vermont to Nashville and it's in Pennsylvania and it's stuck there and it needs, and I, I could buy a new van for what it's going to cost to fix this van. Yeah. And I remember, uh, and I was probably 33. I'd already produced like a major label record and I remember getting paid $20,000 and I thought I should be rich by now. And then all yeah. that 20,000 just got eaten up with catching up with being poor for so long. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I remember I called my mom. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I just don't understand this. And, and, you know, I was like, can I borrow some money from you so I could buy a pair of speakers? Cause I had like this JVC component system that I was using for all my recording work back then. I'm like, I need a pair of, like decent monitors and a amp because you didn't there wasn't really powered monitors back then. Yep. I need you know I need a CD burner so I can make CDs totally. for four hundred dollars a bargain. Yeah. You know what I mean? I needed yeah. certain things, and uh, I need a hundred dollar microphone. I need this and that, and so she lent me X amount of dollars. I think it was five grand. I put together a studio. And I did that record, that first record, and um, then I started and. You know how like you do a little record and it came out really well for the for the crappy bare bones gear I had at the time. And I borrowed stuff from mentors and friends and but I had like just a shitty little M audio interface, two hundred dollar interface with four inputs, and I was able to make everything work out. And then right after that record, uh people said, Oh, you you could make music. You could you record our songs. You could record demos or, or songs. And I was like, yeah, yeah, man, come on over. And yes. then I, and then I start all of a sudden I was like, Oh wait, when's the last time I waited tables? It's been a while. Yeah. So it was like that, you know, it's like the whole age old thing of like, whatever the, the, the Parsifal myth of like, you have to go through the Valley of darkness before you really hit your stride. Yeah. And it's like, so I had to completely like have a, like, Oh shit! I'm 33 or whatever, and yeah. I have no money in the bank. I should, I should, and my bed's on the floor. I should grow up. Yeah, and totally, you know. And then all of a sudden, it was like, it. And I remember on that trip, I had got, a, I had received a call from somebody that said, "Joe, call me back. I have a boy band that needs a that needs a, a record." And I was like, oh, "I'm not gonna call them back. What do I know about boy bands?" Yeah, and then I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, cut to. And I was four listening. I was later. listening to the Lord of the Rings book on tape the whole way. So it's like it's like so mythological. It was perfect. It was a perfect. I was like, this is good for me to experience this level of mythology and poetry in form and function. Like that's good for that'll help me spin bullshit for the rest of my life. You know, yeah, these man. are good experiences. So I said, hey, you still got that boy band? And so I didn't know how to do that, but we did this record. The band was called Twelve Twenty Two from Omaha, Nebraska. And we're still BFFs to this day, two brothers. So I yeah. totally identified that the two brothers being in the band and we've just, we learned how to do stuff together. They would show me music that I, that I thought at the time, you know, when, you when I was younger, it was cheesy. I was dismissed. Yeah. I was yeah. like new kids on the block. What? And they yeah. would show, I was like, Oh yeah, that's badass. And then we would, we would learn how to do pop stuff. And it was, it was like, and then I realized, Oh, I have this really, I, I really love to scratch the itch of pop. Like I love that. Yeah. You know, I feel, of course you feel like an imposter doing it, which almost makes it even more naughty and fun. It makes it sure. more taboo. Yeah. So that was a great experience. And it turned out it's something you would never think you would do. And it was the first record I produced by myself without like another 
a bigger producer or, you know what I mean? I had to do all the engineering myself. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And it gave me a lot of, it gave me a lot of confidence. You know what I mean? I learned a lot. For sure. I mean, yeah. anytime you step into the unknown, mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you're, anytime you're courageous enough to take a try at something that you're not qualified to do, um, you find that you yeah. pull it off and then you learn that much more. And then, you know, you stitch enough of those experiences together and maybe you have a career to, yep. to look at, look after. Um, well, I remember they were going to pay me five grand and that's the money I borrowed from my mom. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to get numbers add five up. grand yeah. from all this gear you just helped me yep. buy. And, and it was like, this felt so clean. You know yep. what I mean? Man, I could so relate to that. Uh, this is about you, but just as a, you know, like meets like, um, I was, I went to college in, uh, little town in Washington state called Bellingham, north of oh, yeah. uh, Seattle. It's where, uh, Ben Gibbard from death cab kind of, he grew up in Seattle, but went to school there in, uh, his band started there, but uh, I had nothing to do with any of that. And I didn't care about that kind of music. Cause I was really into bluegrass at the time. Um, and I had gotten some fool hired me to do a soundtrack for a for a movie that he was doing. And I was like, I don't know how to do a soundtrack. And, but there was like, you know, eight, thousand dollars or something and i still was like i don't know how to do i, I was like I'm, i don't know how to do that i i don't think i can do it and my buddy at the time my kind of musical buddy he was like fuck off dude take that money we'll figure it out and um so you know we talked a little bit more about it and i had made records in studios up to that point and paid you know the hourly fee or whatever um and but his proposal was like why don't you buy a laptop and you know an interface and we'll figure out how to do it and so that's what we did and you know the score was who cares it was fine you know there was maybe a few moments of blinding brilliance and it's a long torpid swamp of nothing but uh uh in at the end of it i had some gear you know and then uh i had i was playing a lot of like old goth i had this there was a buddy in my town that um he could really sing great and he was a great picker and he's also a weird picker he was he didn't know how to flat pick Mm. but he did you know um it was all wrong but just so compelling it was like on fire every time he did it maybe it would crash and burn maybe it would just be like whoa what just happened um but he uh he was a raging partier too and but we kind of had a little bit of a brother duet thing going with the old timey music so I thought that would be an opportunity. Like, I don't know how to make a record, but you know, strip down and maybe two instruments or five instruments. I can handle that. And, you know, I recorded a full length record, you know, in my house with very little money. And I knew a lot of people in the Northwest from the picking scene. And so they just came by and did favors. And uh, all of a sudden I had a record and it was actually good. You know, it was, I didn't write, but maybe two songs on it, but, uh, I was proud of it. And then that was like, well, maybe I can make a rock record now. And, you know, I don't know. I'm still intimidated to this day. Don't know how am not interested in learning how to record drums. It's just too, too much for me. It's like, there's too many mics. There's too many things to notch out. There's too many. It's just, whoa. Um, so I did, I hired out that part, but I did everything else anyway. It's just to like, and now like having, when you're like empowered and you have the gear, everybody, everybody has their own gear now. It's like, yeah. but back in the day it was a little different. Like it was more intimidating and it was just barely starting to be affordable, but having that and then like taking the time to learn, you know, how to do it. God, this serves you for a lifetime, you know, and it's to this day, you know, I record all the time. That's what kind of led to this. And right. Know, Let me ask you a question. question. 
what year are you talking about when you when you made this transition like when you got the job when you got the job you said yes you yeah felt the fear and did it anyway as my therapist would say yeah oh three oh four yeah something right so that was there. around the same time as i i was like 99 getting my first computer so we probably had the same yeah type of stuff my and computer it, it, was a little faster is all but just a little yeah <laughs> But Three years yet it was a miracle that we could do this shit yeah. digitally back then yeah. because right before that you had to work on ADAT mm -hmm. if you wanted to have mm -hmm. a studio. And mm -hmm. I was, I have two guys, I have, I have uh, an intern I'm talking with and an assistant, both straight out of Belmont. One guy's one, one, one person is still in Belmont and I mentioned ADAT and they're like, oh yeah, I know what ADAT is. That's the connector that goes, I said, yeah, but do you know yeah. what an, an ADAT is? Yeah. And they're both like. There was a thing called an ADAT. Yeah. I said, you ever see the VHS tapes at your grandma's house? That's what we record on. Yeah. And if you had three of them, if you want to do 24 tracks, wait for rewind and play, remember? Mm -hmm. So the, 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 whole, the whole world of technology made people like you and I, gave us a seat at the table. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm putting together a project studio for some people right now. And yesterday we were looking up stuff like, wow, we need a piece to do the monitoring, blah, 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 blah. Something like a Mackie Big Knob, you know what I mean? Just thinking out, you know, oh, I just Google Mackie Big Knob. Well, here's the here's a Mackie Big Knob that has one input and one output for $59 or $69. I'm like, I can't believe that how, you know, in reach this stuff is. Yes. Um, so there's no excuse. Like if you have ideas, uh, you should do them. You should just do them and have mm -hmm. some fun with it. You know what I mean? If you're if you're a young person thinking, should I do this? Am I capable? Yeah, you are. Go um, ahead and do it, you know? Absolutely. Th speaking of mm -hmm. doing stuff, uh, I like to break up these interviews with a little sure. bit of performance. So we're just going to take a break and Joe's going to play a tune. So great. Let's see what happens. If we saw the truth, it would blow us down to dust without a pause. So for now, it's probably safer that we're lost. Far, far away from a sense of peace and harmony. We don't know why it has to be so strange And if we're all strangers Fighting for our lives What do we melt when we see each other's eyes? If we felt the love that hides behind our own Imaginings would probably fall to pieces in the lake. Far, far away from a sense of equanimity, we tired that it has to feel so dark. And if we're only strangers fighting for our 
mistake Where's the heart so prone to break From confession and understanding We tire that it has to be so hard What if we saw the truth That the is that lives in me Is the is that lives in you Right before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, what's commonly called the democratization of, you know, the creative uh, experience uh, with with regard to tools and how accessible they all, all are. And I mean, there's to me, those things are always it's like uh, it cuts both ways. Uh, it's wonderful that more and more people have access to make things. But with that, it um, it becomes harder to stand out. And um, also and this is a little bit more interesting to me. I'm, uh, you know, something that's always drawn me to music was, um, the meaning of it. Uh, it meaning just, I don't know what that, whatever meaning music gives you, you know, that's why we started down this road in the first place. We'll have our, our story. Maybe we'll get into yours about what first inspired you. But, uh, I, I'm always after that, you know? Mm. And, um, I remember saying, you know, like naively something that hurt my feelings when I was in my early twenties is, I like, uh, would, you know, spend 20 bucks on a CD of a band that I liked cause I liked their last record. And I was like, for, I don't like this. Like, you know what I mean? Like whatever the, whatever it was. And I was just like kind of annoyed that I was just like, I don't, it felt, I felt robbed or something. And I've never had that experience with books, for instance. Um, I'm a big book nerd and, uh, Maybe it's partly because books are cheaper or something, or you can always find something in a book, or maybe it's because you're doing half the work whenever you read a book. I don't exactly know why, but um, that uh, with the meaning part of it, um, there's something that's lost, I'm hypothesize, mm. uh, when you make a thing that's difficult to do easy. Or if you, if you rent, let me mm. put it a different way, when you render the expertise required to perform at a proficient, you know, world-class level, uh, you render that expertise null and void. It doesn't matter anymore because you can always throw the, the, the drums on, on the grid and it straightens it all out. And that's how people want to hear music anyway. Um, and there's something about that, that I lament cause it's gone forever. Drums just like weird drums are coming up again. Uh, like to me, like the apex of drumming of recorded drumming is like eighties, uh, Don Henley record style gated fucking drumming, like where you feel the groove, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not on a grid. It's like, it's, it's a plus level feel and drumming. And 
you know, nowadays, I remember, I remember when, uh, when auto-tune was starting to take over the industry and it was like controversial for one year before everyone right. was like started doing it. But there, I remember like Nickel Creek put out a record and it, there was a sticker on it that said no auto-tune. And it was like a statement of purity. And, but it, like, as soon as the means come out, it's like, whether or not you use them, it doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It, it's like, everybody's like, throw the drums on the grid or like now, you know, like how about we don't have any drums on this whole album and but you won't be able to tell, or you can kind of tell or whatever. Now it's all about the creative choices that you make and a little bit less about the proficiency you demonstrate on using those, making the most of those choices. Um, that was not a question, but I, what, what do you think about that? Or do you think about that ever? Or have you, I think you, about have it you all ever? the time. Okay. And especially now we have to think of, now we have to think about it. Here's how, here's why we have to think about it now. This is why this conversation is highly important. And it's the only thing I'm thinking about. And it's the only thing I want to talk about. Only third skin. I love this. I always say things that are so dramatic like that. Superlatives. The man of my superlatives. Wife, my wife will make me. Just it makes her crazy, but I but <laughs> I, I know I'd catch her eye roll. Probably yeah, she's she like the right only thing, Joe. <laughs> but let me say what I want to say about the AI man, right? It's yeah, like sure. the elephant in the room. Sure. Okay, so and it, and it comes down to your values. Okay, you said the word meaning, right? Well, there's meanings and values and all that stuff and lifestyle choice, lifestyle, how you want to experience this whole thing, and I think part of what part of why this is important is because right now I'm standing at this place going, okay, what appeals to me now as far as like how I want to live an artistic life? Now that also is a first world uh, benefit. Like, you know- What a luxury. What a luxury to be able to say, I would rather work on this than that. Okay, so that's really luxurious and I know I'm in a special position. So, um, but I have been thinking about that a lot where it's like, you know- uh, well, you know, and, and what makes me feel, you know, what tools will I engage in? What tools am I interested in? What, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, long story short, I think that I've always felt like a bit of an outsider musically. Mm-hmm. And because I never wanted, to, <clears throat> I, I could never really make peace with being a, being in a genre. Like I, I just didn't really, at the sacrifice of maybe even having a more of a career path, I just didn't want to smooth out too many edges and I wanted to try stuff Yeah, and I wanted to be like, yeah, I want to have this song be like a bluegrass song. This song be like, um, you know, like flaming lips. And then I want this one to sound, you know, feel like, uh, even like cheesy jazz or whatever, like Sade or not that Sade is cheesy, but I mean, like I want to have those elements. And so I never wanted to pigeon. I never wanted to put myself in a pigeonhole because then it felt to me personally, it felt like, I'm doing a desk job then, or I'm having like, this is where your cubicle, this is where you step into your cubicle and you don't really go outside it. And uh, I was like, I didn't choose this life to do that. I didn't want to impose uh, that. I'm man, I can relate to that so well. And um, I, I think that there's a huge price to be paid for that kind of um, free thinking approach to creativity. And, I, you know, but if you have to pay it, then you just do, uh, which is that like, uh, yeah, the music business wants a brand, you know, in a way, and they want you, I don't want to say they, but like, it's easier for people when they see, you know, Coke, they know how it's going to yeah. taste and you maybe you can make, be cherry Coke on your next record or vanilla Coke, but it's all kind of hovering around Coke. And, um, I, I also from 
came at music from just a very naive perspective. I'm still to this day. I I have a naive relationship to everything I'm into because I'm just I just go where I'm interested, you know. Yeah. And um, that uh, has not served me well in terms of success in the business writ large because it's hard. You need you need industry people on some level perhaps to like cut through. And I mean, I'm saying this as a guy who's played like I don't know, well over a thousand shows over 15 years. You know, and like I played a lot of music, but I had to figure out how to do it on my own. And a lot of that was like booking my own stuff and whatever, making it work. Um, and whereas I think that if I would have, I, I think back in my twenties and I was just like, man, I want to, I don't know if I can play electric guitar really well, but I'm interested in it right now and I'm just going to do it. And I don't think that I really was, maybe I sh- shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like in some level, I, I, um, th- I know now better what I do better than, you know, I know what, what I do well enough to be like genuinely competitive in whatever that means. Uh, and maybe I lean that direction a little bit more than I used to, but still not a, a lot more. And, um, anyway, so I think that there's a price to be paid for having a naive relationship to music. And I'm not trying to say that you also did that, but you were led by your own, but you were led by your heart, you know, and a heart goes where it goes and you followed it and yeah. that it, you weren't a brand. Joe Pizzapia, trademark, you know, copyright. You were a guy. You were a, a soul. Well, let me tell you where the payoff is coming. <clears throat> it's not It's not coming from an expected place that anybody would have thought, for me personally. Yeah. It's not coming financially. It's not coming from recognition. Here's where I'm, here's where I'm experiencing a certain validation. I'm experiencing a certain validation in, in something you said, which is um, the, the music business always wanted to corral you into a brand. And that makes sense. Of course, they need to have, they need to, they need to have a one sentence around what you do. And, mm-hmm. and that's not, they're, they're not at fault by doing that. But the new boss is even worse because the new boss has zero curiosity as because it's not built into the algorithm. It's not built into the algorithm of a robot to have curiosity about maybe your broad, broader minded approach to an art form. Yeah. And it's not a fault of their, them either. But when you let the algorithm do the job, I'm going to give you, for instance, I'm doing, I was doing a record with an artist who the algorithm thought that they were uh, Americana folk rock. <clears throat> and then we wanted to do more of a pop record. And the person who handles the liaisonship between the artists and the streaming services said, well, just so you know, the algorithm is already thinks you're leaning this. this way. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so it's like, well, okay, that is living and dying by that sort. We know that that we know that we have to work within those parameters or not, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like it really is no man's land, and there's no person at the center of that making a choice. That's right. It's just a machine. Yeah, it's just a machine now, and so it's even worse than it used to be, which is also why it's like less fucks could always be yeah. given. Like yeah. it, in other words, I guess where I always felt a little bit guilty. And the reason I felt guilty by not making up a decision of what I wanted, what I should have been or corralling my thing into a one liner was that I had other people depending on me, like my brother, my best friend in life mm. saying, are we ever going to make some money at this? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't look good. Doesn't, it's not looking good. It uh, used to not look good. Now it's not looking. <laughs> and I remember I would sh- you know, play the songs that I wanted to do on the record. And 
uh, uh, even Hags, our bass player Hags' brother, yeah. heard the demo. He's like, "What the fuck is Joe trying not? Is Joe trying not to get a record deal?" Yeah. And I was like, but this is just the music that I want to do. Idealistic. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to love that I'm blending bossa nova with, you know, yeah. uh, whatever, heavy, heavy rhythms and, and, and drums. And, you know, people will, of course, love that, you know. And, and uh, of course, they, you know, some people really dug it. And I, But now, like I said, now I feel really good that I have that weird material that I was, that my younger self was naively thinking every, a lot of people are going to love this. And of course, no, that's not true. But the people who do, and, and the, and the fact that the fact that it was done, Mm -hmm. the fact that I have that music now makes me feel validated that like in, in, okay. In other words, like you're saying a year, there might be a year of like, Oh, they used AI to write that song. And then two years from now, I was like, well, yeah, I used AI to write the song because it, it came up with better lines than I could. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we should, should or should not use it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just not going to know who's going to use it or not. And so having a catalog of, of eclectic music that precedes the big turn to me is validating. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean it's monetary. It doesn't mean that it has any validation in a worldly sense, but in a historic sense of like humanity, sure. It has a lot of meaning. Absolutely. It has meaning, you know? Um, and, uh, also there's something and maybe you can relate to this, but a a while ago, I kind of changed my lifestyle, uh, vis-a-vis music right before I was kind of leaning to do it. I was already leaning that way prior to the pandemic. And then that just like kind of helped me fully turn that corner. Um, and with that came a new, uh, a new bliss that I didn't really know that was waiting for me, which was that, and, and this real accompanying realization which is that to me, success is, you know, you wake up and you go to bed and having those hours as closely resemble your ideal, ideal way to spend a day as possible is so such a win. Mm. And I have been incredibly fortunate to be able to do that, you know, and I, I try and fail on a daily basis. I'm you know, doing this crazy thing now with uh, a TV show and, um, my wife and I do a lot of film stuff and, um, it's just, and it's like, and I'm mostly, I write, uh, but every day it's just like, okay, I got three hours a day to write. Like, what am I, I'm just going to try yeah. to do this. And I, to me, I'm in a place where I'm like so much rather do that than, uh, spend those three hours in my car driving to another town, which is what, you know, I did, but I did that for 15 years and I loved it. I wanted to know when I moved to Nashville, my, I had a very clear goal, which is like, I want to know what it's like to be sick of touring. Mm-hmm. I want to know because all I wanted to do forever, like from 16 was to just play shows all the time for anyone who would listen. And I got to do it. You know what I mean? It was great. And, uh, you know, there's trade-offs with everything. And the trade-off was that you spend a lot of time on the road and maybe you like, yeah. you don't have a life outside of it. And that was a sacrifice I was willing to make for a very long time. And then, you know, now it's, there's a point at which it starts to be like variations on a theme and those variations get increasingly small. And I also watched people that, you know, I looked up to as being like, well, that's a successful artist or did or did And they're playing, you know, 500 cap rooms or 5,000 cap rooms or arena, whatever. But I'm like, huh, at the end of the day, they're kind of doing the same thing. It's still like meet, maybe meet at the van, meet at the bus, you know, drive, 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 sound check, play the show, 
go to the hotel, wake up, do the same thing. The numbers change, but the experience in its essence is kind of the same. And I was like, you know, maybe it's okay if I don't, I always like, I've never toured in a tour bus. Right. Maybe I'll never will. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, Let's hear another song. Once there was a love, she was an angel sometimes, sometimes she was the devil in white, it was always a big surprise. Once there was a love, she lived so far away. I would always count down the days Till I'd see her from face to face It isn't hard To get what you are But do you know what it is you want? I believe that's the hard part Get what you want But do you know what you really want? That to me is the hard part Once there was love We would spend Sundays in the park When she'd smile it would light up my heart and I would just forget everything Once there was a love We had a long history It would take years before we were free From the ties to each other's hearts It is in heart Get what you want Do you know what it is you want? That to me is the hardest part It isn't hard To get what you want But do you know what you really want? Once there was a love, she was an angel sometimes. Sometimes she was the devil in white. It was always a big surprise. So what's uh what's going what's going on next? What's coming up? What are you working on that you're excited about, or you know whatever you want to tell me. Are we recording now? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, so what's coming up next? Well, I'm working on, do you know who Chuck Mead is? Yeah. Uh, he, you know, Chuck's, Ooh, Chuck. Yeah, BR549? Yeah. He's the yeah founding member and, and singer. The way Chuck and I met was in 1994, we both worked at this restaurant called The Mill, Bakery, Eatery, and Brewery on Broadway, right where Nashville used to be, mm. now which is Condos. 
Yeah, gone. Like most of gone Nashville. That building. Yeah. Just like, you know those condos over there? That's where we met. You know those condos over there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yes, yeah, so we met there. We, and we had moved to Nashville around the same time. And he was, and he and I were like trying, you know, uh, in between like doing the waiting. Time. So what are you doing in Nashville? You know, yeah. everybody there was, it was almost like a class. Like everybody we worked with had just moved there. Hmm. And so we met, even I'm friends with a lot of the people we'd met at that restaurant. And so he and I were talking to him. He's like, man, I'm really into this. I'm really into rock pile and Nick Lowe. I'm like, me too. And, and he was like going to do dos cojones before BR549. Hmm. And we just planted these seeds of like, it, uh, I was like, here's where, here's how I'm going to set up my guitar. I'm going to put, I'm going to have four tens and the super reverb. We're going to have AC 30 over here. You know, I'm going to, we would just geek out about guitar tones and amps and stuff. And, and so these conversations that were just happenstance were like almost like planting a little seed that we always, we would return to. Yeah. And so he, and we had done, I had done a record with those guys, uh, Chuck Mead and the grass and his grassy knoll boys called free state serenade, which was probably 10 years ago. And, um, and so uh, he's like, man, I want to do some more music but this stuff, I want it to be more of a punk attitude and this and that. And I'm like, great, let's do it. Like, let's just do band in the room. So we just, uh, I'm borrowing this really sick piece of gear from Ben folds and it's a 1950 Collins all tube broadcast console. And I'm obsessed with using it and it just makes ribbon mics go, wow, you know, like that's what, how. did you throw something up on your gram? I probably of did because yeah. I'm like, look at this thing, look yeah, how cool yeah. it is, you know? And, um, it looks like it's from the, it, even the knobs are made of Bakelite. So they feel just really good. So good. Just like, Ooh, that's, yeah. and, uh, and it smells great and it's, it's really hot. It gets really hot. And, um, it smells great. It's just you smells, hear that every, too every, often with no, audio gear. It's just, open, you open up, it's like, that's the smell of my childhood. There, like yeah. two amps in a, in a little room, like practicing, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just, it. And even like today's like a little overcast, like the smell of tubes in Nashville on a rainy day. And it just, it just reminds me of good, wholesome feelings of like productivity and creativity. Yeah. And it's instant. That yeah. smell, it instantly brings me to that beautiful place. And so we just recorded like, you know, uh, here's the kick drum, here's the bass amp, here's the guitar amp. And everybody's, there's a big piece of rock and roll coming at you in, in real time, just like that. Uh -huh. And then there's a, you know, a ribbon mic with stereo ribbon mic with going through that console. That's that I wanted to build that whole sound around, you know, and with compression and like just excitement and just bombast. And, um, so a single, single stereo ribbon mic. Is yeah. I'm, there's a lot more mics involved, but oh. not too many more. It's very simple miking. Hmm. Like we were talking about drums. This has, this not to get too into the geekdom, but it's the Glenn Johns overhead setup, which is one mic coming across the floor tom like this, and one mic coming like this in cardioid over the over the middle of the kit, and then a mic on the kick and a mic on the snare, and that's the drum sound. Mm. In addition to this close room and another far away room, it's a cardioid over as the overhead. Both 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 are in cardioid, okay. so it's like uh, and and the way that the way that. I think somebody said, I think even Glenn Johns was like, you don't have to measure them. They just, you know, I think I heard that recently, Yeah. but because I'd rather, uh, do, you know, cause I'm, I didn't grow up learning engineering. Uh -huh. I learned engineering as a way to like, uh, 
it's a method of, you know what I mean? What was it called? The form follows function or, um, you know, like just the method to the madness. I had to learn, learn it. doing, yeah. Yeah, like uh, necessity being the mother of invention. Mm. That's what I wanted to yes. say. And so anyway, the way I would do it scientifically is take a piece of string and measure the distance between the middle of the snare and the top mic and then the side mic too so that mm. the snare would be in phase. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would even put a string in the kick where the kick meets the beater, hold it there with the beater, and then check that one too to uh -huh. make sure that, you know, and try to find the best relationship yeah. between the two. It makes you feel like a scientist. Yeah. Put on your little lab coat. You know, <laughs> get a little measuring tape does come out here and there. Yeah. <laughs> it it kind of does because it's like sometimes I do that, I measure stuff just to see like where it's like, oh, now I have a, now I have a plan yeah. you know, for, for a future thing. And I could say, oh, yeah, no. I've actually, this works. I know that I can duplicate years these years, results. Yes, I can duplicate yeah. these results in a hurry. Yeah. So it's like tools come in handy, you know. Uh, but it's anyway, like analog presets, or you know, it's yeah. like real time presets. Exactly. You know? There's your presets. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's uh. So you're that's how you're recording. Uh, these new Chuck's Chuck new Beat songs. Yeah. And so um, and is that a, you have a studio that you record out of? Yeah. Here in town, or is it a? Is it a like a room that can accommodate? Is it how compared to this room? Just. It's a big room. Like, like we bought a house with a building in the back. Okay. And I looked for years and I, we found this house that had a, a building in the back and because it was already existing structure, we were able to build it bigger, mm. like build a cubic footage out of square footage. And so, and it was also, it just was a really great situation because it was downgrade from the house. So we could build a little higher than uh, usual, yep. you know? And so we, we made a nice tracking room out of it. Is, is it a tracking room and, and control room or yeah. is it all? Okay. And that was a mandatory thing for me because before that I always had an open, one big open space. And I thought, you know what? I'm never going to get better as an engineer unless I could hear in real time, what's soloing in place of, and all yeah. that. What's, what, what's really happening and be able to be like, Oh, this change makes me happy or this change makes me happy, you know? And, that, and I know that there are great, because I'm meeting young people coming out of Belmont, which I feel is an amazing facility, and they're already really smart with stuff. Mm -hmm. But for me, because I took the knucklehead path, it's, you know, I'm like, oh, I just realized this. Yeah, you know the I mean? knucklehead path From, yields many an unanticipated <laughs> discovery. It does. You know? Yeah. And, you know, there, there's also a taste that comes with 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 time that, yeah. you know, your, your vintage in the best sense of the word, you know, you've got, you've listened to so much more music than those kids. So they, you know, they, you have something to learn from them, but they have a lot to learn from you. And, you know, I have a lot to learn from you. Well, and, likewise. And it feels good to know that because even this new assistant I'm meeting with now, I'm like, he's already really great. And I'm thinking like, I'm going to learn a lot from him and I could show him a couple things, but he's already mirrored back to me what he, he and I think some of the stuff is the interpersonal communication, just, you know, you know, Choosing even to, to know that the, the people are stressed out and they're mm -hmm. putting and they're very vulnerable. So you have to be very gentle with them. Like you have to let the, if they're freaking out, let them have a little room to freak out. Mm -hmm. Sure. Let them freak out because you, you'd also freak out. It, it helps being an artist to be a good producer mm -hmm. um, because producing your own shit is horrible and it's thankless and it's impossible. And so when you're producing other people, you can say like, don't worry about that. Yes. And they know you mean it because they know you've already, you don't even know I beat myself up 
because of that for unnecessary reasons for 10 years. Yeah. That doesn't, you, you don't say that they see it in your, they see it in your being Yes, that they trust you because yes. you say, don't worry about that. Yeah. You know, um, this has been so fun, man. I Likewise, feel like, I feel yeah. like we could do this for another two hours. It, it was a uh, time flew and yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect, but now I'm, I'm sad that it's over, but we'll just, we'll do it again sometime. And, um, let's, let's play, um, one of your best known songs and maybe, uh, well, to me, one of your best known songs, um, sing it loud. And, uh, that was, maybe you can talk a little bit about, well, cause I don't know, but I know that from as a Katie Lang song. Yeah. So how did that happen? How did that find its way onto that record? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because I did write that song about my niece, my brother's little girl, Daisy Rocket, when she was two years old and she used to like, excuse me, like, you know, when music would be on in the house, she would like she would walk away like she would be in a different room that you know like or a different part of the house and she would just do these crazy dances to the, the music and it was just like so like it was so expressive and her body was like a little rubber band just going nuts and one day we were all looking at her like oh my god that's so cute and she and i remember she saw us looking and she she made it look smoother like and oh, I thought, she's a little self-conscious. Oh, don't do that. Mm. Like, no, we love that you're still doing that. And don't let our, don't let our norm, you know, you think we're normal. We're not normal. Don't let your, you know, don't let the reflection of our projection tamper down your joy. Um, because that would, we, we want to, we want you to be this. Everybody here is is in is in full support of that freak flag flying really yes. high yeah and and i think that when you as a maybe i'm not a parent but you know i was an uncle and i know my brother felt that way and so it's like uh it was like oh it's important that you know that we love this part of you and um and so and maybe every parent realizes that in some maybe they it don't feel so parental you yeah know, like maybe they the just feel sense. that and they're like oh, i don't want to yeah. you know, have them feel like the, I want them to be fully joyful, you know? Yeah. And, um, I'll do anything it takes to make sure that they feel that for as long as possible, even if, even if it makes it harder for them later. <laughs> but, um, so yeah. So, and it, I remember I showed it to my brother and he loved it. And then I showed it to KD just because I'm like, Hey, check this song I wrote for my niece. And she was like, Joe, I love this song and I want to cut it. And and she said, I want to tweak the first verse with you because I think it needs a little work. And uh, I said, well, yeah, we'll co-write it. She's like, no, I don't want to co-write on this. And I said, well, why? And, you know, she, she just wanted it to be from me. And um, that's very generous. Yeah, minded. it was really generous. And, you know, she just and she said, she said, Joe, you know, this is going to be a gay anthem. I'm like. <laughs> bring it on. I was like anything that would help people feel less free. lonesome and yeah. more free and yeah. more loved. It's like, you know, then please sign me up for that service. Yes. You know? Um, yeah. and then, uh, w but it's quarterly. It's pretty, there's some expensive chords. There are expensive chords. And I remember we went back and forth and she's like, can't you make this more Neil Young chords? And I tried and I was like, I can't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. I, I was like, it is this, it has to be this. Yeah. And I said, I understand if you don't like it, just, I need it to be these chords. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I, the, I write simple songs nowadays, but I was, you know, 
a bit classically trained. I know my way around the circle yeah. of fifths and I can manipulate it. And, um, but man, that's, that's getting, it's, it's pretty out there. I had, I spent a bunch of time learning it this morning and I'm like, I don't think I've ever made that shape before. And then, and then dropping from the, the E major seven to that B flat, uh, sharp, sharp 11. Yeah. It's just like my mind would never do that when I was sitting, sitting there trying to write a song. So was that just like in that approach to songwriting, did you sit and kind of like play some chords and try to see what, uh, what came out of it? Or did you have like an idea in advance or, were you just fumbling around on a guitar? I think st- you're giving me too much credit. I th- I always feel like that chord change is a little cliche because it's like sort of a bossa nova stand. It feels very bossa nova, and this and <laughs> the like, vocal line is uh, strewed and you know Gal Gerberto all the way. But uh, maybe it may, that's just like my ignorance of no no no. You know, I'm bossa obsessed nova. with all that stuff. Yeah, and so it's like you know I, I wear the heart on the sleeve, probably. You know what I mean, like. You show your influences or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's a wonderful tune and I can't thank wait you. to play it with you. And man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you um, for the great conversation. I love it. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah. All right. And cut. One, two, three. Away in the corner of the closet is a bell that catch you as a little one. Sometimes in the night, I will bring head when I found a troubled and away. You will drift away to slumber, to dream. Like a freight train moving fast by the plains and the prairie grains. No one ever did explain. Got it on your own. Such a privilege to see you become. Sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it, sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it, sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it, sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud to everyone knows who you are. Watch you make choices Bit my tongue when I saw you taking chances Watch you go through strings of romances Still, I never had a doubt Always knew When the days grow dark with confusion, you could always give your burdens to the music, even when I'm gone. There is a song that will play on and on and on. 
sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud. So everyone knows who you Sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud. So everyone knows who you are. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud, sing it. Sing it loud, sing it, sing it, sing it loud. So you can remember who you are.